It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. John Toogood, good day to you, sir. Hey, how you going, bro? <laughs> Can't complain because not a listen, as they say. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to the Become Your Own Superhero podcast. One of our very first guests, and it's a real privilege and an honour to have the former, well, current front man of New Zealand rock band She Had, uh, the yep. adults. The adults, your your idea. Yep. And you're a man of many talents. And I almost introduced you as John Cusack from High Fidelity. Yeah. It's it's um my bandmates call me John Bullsack because I look a bit like him apparently. <laughs> I think there's a distinct uh, suave suaveness that's coming through. I, I think don't it's know, just John. Bags, bags under my eyes, bro. Uh, you look good. You look good. You look healthy. <laughs> you look healthy and. Why, thank you, Laban. It's been, I'm going to say, probably nine years since we last saw each other. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot going on in both of our lives since then. For sure. Uh, I understand you married the the woman of your dreams. I did. In cartoon. Yeah. It's cartoon, man. Yeah. And have produced two extraordinary children. Yeah. They're full on, but they're beautiful. So, yeah. It's yeah, awesome. <laughs> and also, given the timing of it all, uh, before the wedding, you converted to uh, become a Muslim. Yeah, yeah converted to Islam. Yep. Islam, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, extraordinary... did. I did. So lots of changes. Yeah, yeah. I think when we were ha hanging out, I was, um, I was, yeah, in a transitional period. I mean, like... I mean, just a bit of background about me, me and you was like what we sort of met via living in Melbourne, the only city in Australia that doesn't ever play rugby league anywhere on television. Yeah. And uh, we basically were a bunch of expats going, but we want to watch the Warriors lose every week. Um, <laughs> Shout out Warriors. Shout out Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, when occasionally and, and then, and then, and then uh, break out hearts the next week. Um, but, but that was, and, and, and it just so happened that, yeah, we all met each other and, and, uh, we had a, a, a couple of motivated friends that would, that would rummage around, uh, what all the pubs in, um, in, uh, Melbourne to find out which one out of the thousands was actually going to play some rugby league yeah. and then meet up and have a beer and, um, watch the, watch the game. And it was, yeah, it was a really nice time. Um, I think I just ended my like long relationship, which was pretty unhealthy. 
Um, yeah, and I was sort of trying to trying to work out who I was because I'd been in a relationship since I was like 19 years old. So I was a kid basically when I got into it. And then I got out of it when I was 30, 38 or something. Wow. So I was a serial, um, you know, I, I, I'd never been by myself pretty much since I was a kid. So I didn't know who I was really, even though I was that singer in that band and stuff like that, you know. Uh, but you guys were great because it was like a, a bit of, it was like a taste of home um, in the middle of Australia. And, uh, and then, and then we do what other things like get together in, in, in bowling nets and stuff. I remember <laughs> like, uh, cause I, the thing is I, I love cricket man, and, um, but I haven't played it for years because uh, life's really short. And if you, if you decide to be a rock, rock musician, you spend all your time learning how to write songs and play guitar. And then you sort of have to give up, you know, working out how to swing the ball and, and stuff when you bowl. And um, I hadn't done it for ages. And then we got together and then remember, I remember like bowling really fast and going, wow, this feels good. And then I, and then I um, uh, had a groin strain and end up on, on the couch for two weeks. And, was, and, we yeah. and that was your guy's fault. It was. <laughs> and we'll absolutely take blame for that. And I, I think that you might've ripped out uh, Jack Muir who was the, the the catalyst for us actually getting together, who was the biggest league fan in the world. Legal mm-hmm. Counsel, that's his podcast, mm-hmm. check it out. And uh, I, I'm trying to work out, I think he might have hit top of off stump yeah. when he was batting. Well, yeah, it, it was good until it hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is such a strange thing to do with your body, is bowling fast. It's like, it's, it's weird. It's not, it's, not, it's not right, you know, but it's good. It feels good when it goes, but... Ouch, hurts when it doesn't. <laughs> well, I'm still playing, John. And um, yesterday we had on Professor Peter Bruckner, who's a sports medicine doctor, who yeah, right. has worked with the Australian cricket team for six years. And he's finished a couple of years ago. We was talking about the brutality of fast bowling and how mm. that it takes really till you're about 24 for that lumbar part of your region to fully develop. And that's why mm. there's so many stress fractures. And... Because unbeknownst to a lot of people, you played a really good level of cricket in Wellington, from memory. Well, you know, I was the, I was the captain of the the primary schools Wellington team. I mean, we I used to play against um, like Chris Cairns. He was Christchurch captain. Um, uh, who was in my team? I had um, Mark Ellis was number three batsman. Um, Danny Hymona, uh, who ended up being damn native, the hip hop artist was my opening bowler and he was a fearsome uh, and frightening fast bowler. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, no, there was, um, it was a pretty decent team, but as soon as they made me captain, you know, to tell you the truth, I actually stopped enjoying it. I started playing really defensively in my batting cause I was all thinking about the game all the time. And so in the end, uh, luckily for me, I, I met Tom Larkin, the drummer from she hard when I was about 13 or 14 and he went, oh, don't do that, bro. Here's a guitar. Let's play some metal. And that was the uh, that was the end of that was the end of my cricket thing. And, and my dad, who was my number one supporter, and ended up being Shihad's number one supporter, was so heartbroken when I made that decision initially. Until they saw me a, a few a couple of years later on on telly winning most promising band award at the New Zealand Music Awards. Yeah. It was on the same channel as Coronation Street, so I, I'd really arrived, you know, like um, wow, yeah, because they're both expat, you know, 
British people. So that's right. That's what they did. So um, yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of a weird sort of. But I always in I always watch the cricket. Like I always still watch it now. Um and uh, yeah, yeah. When I can, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I still I still like Test cricket the most. Yeah. That's that's my that's my bag. It's like watching. It's like watching the weather, you know. Like I try and explain to my wife, who's who's basically American schooled. She's a diplomat, um, so she just thinks it's like the weirdest thing, and she can't understand what's actually going on, no matter how how many times I explain. But for me, it's like watching the weather change because she goes, "There's nothing happening. Nothing actually happening." Well, <laughs> no, that's not true. If you watch the weather, it, like if you watch the weather, it looks like nothing's happening. But if you go away and make a cup of tea and then come back and look at the same bit, it's totally changed. Yeah. And that's what Test Cricket is like for me. It's like it's like a mini-series. It's like watching The Sopranos over five days, you know? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I really like it. It's good. And because uh, uh, certainly South Africa is very familiar with cricket. Has, has cricket infiltrated any other parts of it, like within – because I think your wife's from South Sudan, she's Sudanese. So she's she's northern Sudan. So she's she's northern from Sudan. basically. So northern Sudan is is, is like um, that's that's right uh, underneath Egypt. Yeah. Um, uh, it's um, so there's a very big crossover between the cultures of those two countries. It's more. It's probably is more towards Middle Eastern culture than a than African culture. Southern Sudan gets more into sort of African, uh, more traditional. Um, I mean that's. It's a, it's a, such a it's such a weird mixture. Where where North Sudan is, it's basically above it is Egypt, across is across the sea is um, Saudi Arabia and stuff like that. Then then off the side is Ethiopia and Eritrea and Somalia. So it's like it's a real mixture of all these things. There's a Turkish influence there because it used to be um, uh, it was colonized by the the Ottomans. Then it was colonized by the British. So yeah. there's a real uh, melting pot of different uh, cultures in one culture, and it's made this new culture. I mean, like like every country, you know. But it, it's um, it's incredible. Like I've been there like what three or four times now. I've recorded with musicians there. I've got married there. My family's there. My kids are half Sudanese, and um, I, I love it. And and it's been it's been re- a real eye opener for me. And and after growing up in a very sheltered you know, s- supposedly stable place like New Zealand and then living in Australia, um, going to a place where the government's the army um, that sort of took over in a coup and then, and, and then there's no, there's no, there's no, if you want to do anything there, you, you, you can't just like go on the website and go, oh, how much does it cost to get a permit to blah, blah, blah. You just got to <laughs> deal with someone. At, 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 at some at some office, and they are dressed in an army uniform. And if they're in a good mood, it might cost this. And if they're in a bad mood, it'll cost a lot more. Yeah. And you're going to have to give mates some money as well. And it's like it makes you really appreciate living in a place where you don't have to go through that because it's exhausting. You know, it's exhausting doing anything in that country. But at the same time, their spirit's really strong. And and as as you, you I'm not sure if you know, but in the last year, they've actually. They've kicked, finally kicked that guy out, and they're trying to form their own government. So there's a there's a long way to go, but at least you know, sort of a revolution has sort of started taking place there. So yeah, that's mm. that's awesome. Uh, look, it's um, at the at the cricket club actually, we've got a player, a Con Mawian, who's the very first premier South Sudanese player 
who oh, debuted yeah, cool. in our first 11 and has had, had an extraordinary life, an extraordinary mm. story. And it's, mm. um, I've had an opportunity to, to talk to him about his, you know, life and background. And, and it's just, you know, we grew up in New Zealand, bro, like not even on the map half the time. Mm. And uh, mm. it's just a whole nother experience. But um, I haven't made it to Africa yet, but it's on the it's on the bucket list, man. I'm pretty keen to get there. And, uh, you know, my, my partner's from Russia, you know, not a big yeah. cricketing nation either. And no. there's that whole whole other, you know, thing I want to experience. I want to experience it for myself. And, you know, um, you know, you talk about that bribe money. And when I, I got a job in Bangkok when I was 20, I got mm. uh, hired by a mate of mine's brother-in-law. And the bribe system over there, uh, I was working for, in it for a relocation company. So expats would move to and from Thailand, from where else in the world. And we would incorporate the bribe into the quote for the yeah, right. for the cost. Yeah. And yeah. it would save them tens of thousands of US dollars in duty, mm-hmm. you know, custom mm-hmm. duty. Extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary. Yeah, it is weird. It is weird. I mean, yeah, it definitely makes you appreciate knowing having straight, you know, straight sort of basic, you know, guidelines for what things cost and what, what it costs to do things in a system, you know. So, but at the same time, th- there's things I learnt from the resilience of the people over there that, that we haven't had to develop as well. So um, I'm not saying that it would be preferable to have a, a government like Bashir's Sudanese uh, army at all. In fact, it was awful. Um, but... Um, but the people really were, were strong because of what they'd had to live through, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty weird. So because you, uh, you converted to Islam before you got married, was that, a, was that a, just a decision? You go, right, I'm just, this is something I'm going to do, like to sort of consolidate the family? Okay, let's, or let's, Well, let's go, let's go. Let's uh, wind it back to when we were hanging out. Okay, cool. So I was yeah. sort of like, you know, just I was – uh, out of a, one relationship, which was, I, I'd say, quite a um, an unhappy marriage. Um, uh, I was uh, a, a, a lion on stage for all to see, but at home I was a mouse walking on eggshells. I was very unhappy. Um, uh, I finally got out of that relationship. Uh, when I did, I was thinking that I'd, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been sort of manipulated into thinking that I'd basically be a bum down the streets, Courtney Place without that person um and but i was so unhappy that i finally after 18 years got out of it and went well i'd rather be a bum down the street you know uh than be in this relationship i found out that internet banking uh was actually really easy and then uh and then uh, took charge of my life and all of a sudden all these doors were opening to me and i was saying yes to everything rather than saying no because i was frightened yeah. So I was like, well, I'm now a free spirit. I am gonna I am gonna go hard. I'm actually gonna find out what it's like to be a rock star. Because I was a, a, a rock star in name, but in, in reality, I wasn't a rock star at all. Um I was a mouse, you know. And then so I went, right, let's let's do it. So I I uh, basically went hard for about two years. Um I wrote the first al- adults album along with some of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Um, I experimented doing um, uh, other work outside of music. I, um, uh, but in amongst all this, I also drunk like a like a an MF. I partied with like ridiculously beautiful uh, human beings and stayed out for days on end. And I I loved it. 
don't get me wrong, I loved it. But after two years, I was sore and tired and jaded and bored. And uh, I wasn't feeling very happy when I was waking up in the morning. Yeah. And, um, and it was around that time that um, I, I just happened to, to I, I remember the day I woke up in, with a massive hangover in Wellington, New Zealand, and I had to get on a plane to fly up to Auckland to do a talk with Nick D at the Auckland Museum on song composition at a music manager's forum, which is an industry thing, right? It was open to the public. Lots of people came. It ended up being fantastic, but I was, because the interviewer was so great, he pulled me out of this funk that I was in. There was a party afterwards for just industry people only. I was looking around, sort of lost, thinking, what am I doing with my life? And in walks this uh, this human being uh, that I'd never seen anyone look like that before. Um, I She was wearing hijab, but um, it was done in a style that I'd never seen before because it was North African, Sudanese. Um, I couldn't tell what part of the world she was from. She spoke in an American accent. She had eyes that just went straight through me. I could see her from basically everybody else in the bar disappeared. I went straight towards her and said, like, what, where are you from and who are you? Um, and she was like, and she had no idea who I was, which was fantastic for me. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, she just went, you look interesting. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm this. And what are you, you know, like, and it was just instantly, rather than being that moment where it was like excitement, excitement, it was more like, oh, I can breathe out. I can relax and be myself, you know, yeah. like rather than, than, and it was that, and it was so, it was so interesting. Cause like, um, um, I was wondering, you know, um, did I waste 18 years of my life in a really bad relationship? You know, but it, it, at that moment I realized if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have known what I didn't want from a relationship or what, what to actually look for. And what I actually ended up looking for was my best friend. Luckily for me, my best friend also is so stunningly beautiful. And so he's a beautiful and, woman, John. I'm not denying yeah, that. She is. Well, she is, but she's also the best thing about her she's beautiful from the inside and that to me and she had more energy than all the other people in the bar and she didn't drink and she had all the energy and she didn't take drugs and she had all this like positive um just vibe coming off her and it was like i want to know how to do that you know i want to know how to do that trick and it, there was no trick to it it was just a good upbringing a a a an she she tends to look for the good in human beings rather than 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 think that people are going to be bad. Yeah. So and and it, that's a beautiful trick in itself. If you go into a situation with another human being and you uh, assume that they are good, even if they're not feeling good, because you're assuming they're good, that brings out the good in them. You know. And it's like that was one of the tricks I was watching her do. It's not even a trick. She genuinely feels like that about humanity and it's a beautiful thing to be around especially after spending years in an industry where you know people are stabbing their you know each other in the back or I mean, not always but you know yeah. like you're still it's all very competition based and it's all very how do i clamber my way to the top it was beautiful to watch her go oh what's your story you know to everybody you know and that's how that sort of rubbed off on me and i went 
I don't want to hang out with all these people taking drugs anymore. I don't want to, ha- I'm bored with it anyway. Yeah. It was just the perfect timing. It was like the universe went, and here's the reward, you know, and here it is, you know, it's like, and here's, a, here's an option of a path where you don't even have to smash yourself. You can actually look after yourself and end up being the person standing at the end of the night at a party, you know, and still feel great the next morning, you know. And all of a sudden, out of that, my productivity goes through the roof. I start writing more. I start uh, performing more. I start performing with more vigor. I start being more focused. It's really interesting that, yeah, I mean, it's just because I'd always relied on, yeah, getting high to go, okay, now I'm in touch with the universe, you know. But now it's like the opposite. It's like when I get high, I'm I'm actually masking myself. I'm I'm withdrawing from the universe, you know, like it's interesting, yeah. like like turning it all on its head, you know. So um yeah, I definitely went and anyway, so for five years we saw each other. We Are you doing long distance met, at this point? No, no. I, I was in Auckland crashing at a mate's house. Um uh, and making the adults record and I sort of I was just living on couches man like literally I was what 38 and I wasn't paying rent I was like literally just charming my way onto people's couches and going wherever I wanted to go and it was really immature and ridiculous and but it served me for a while and then and then I yeah. met her and I just decided I'm gonna grow up you know like it's time to grow up I want to I want to have kids with this person and I can't be sleeping on people's couches if I want to do that. I can't be drinking if I want to do that. I can't be taking drugs if I want to be doing, doing that, you know. I want to be um I want to be focused, you know. And 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 it was just yeah, like I say it was like a blessing, you know, like and um like in the past I've had struggles with anxiety, you know, like I mean I'm typical lead singer, got lots of energy, but um as much as my ego can inflate and make me feel like a, you know, a god on stage it can also do the opposite and make me feel like an ant i can destroy myself when i'm feeling bad about myself i really hammer myself you know and like everyone can you know but i think with artists for some reason we we tend to we tend to not live in that middle but we live in either we're we're either gods or we're nothing you know and it's like yeah and yeah, for sure looking between those two things it's so exhausting you know and then you cut but when you cut out drugs and you start like living in the present, all of a sudden you start, you know, it, you know, you equalize, right? And then, but then yeah, not only yeah. that, your, your equal becomes higher and higher and higher, you know, because you start looking after yourself and you get rewarded for that. And also the people that you're around change as well. I started not seeing those people that were selling drugs. I started not seeing the people that were like sort of talking about the record that they were going to make when they got around to it, but never did, you know, I started talking, talking to people that had made albums and how do you do that? How do you get through that? You know, like it was interesting. Yeah, it was cool, man. It was cool. And I'm still on that sort of trip. Like, I mean, since then, you know, I've went and got myself a master's of fine arts at Massey university. I've done things that I would never have imagined doing getting married. man. It's awesome. Yeah, man. Like it's just, just, I've just said yes to things rather than said no out of fear. I've, yeah. Even if I don't know, even if someone comes to me and goes, "Hey, can you organise the um, the voices for the the David Bowie Auckland Symphony Orchestra?" Uh, yeah, I can do that. I have no idea what I'm doing, but 
I, I will find out, you know, like I'll say yes and then I'll do it. And then it's like, uh, and then you've just got to make it work at that point. You know, you've just got to, you've just got to, cause your back's against the wall. I like that, you know, like reverse engineer anyway, that mother flipper. Yeah. So converting to Islam, that basically was, a, that process took a long time because, because I'm a humanist, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm brought, brought up in Wellington, New Zealand. Most of my friends are staunch atheists, but, and we've always, we've always talked this game where it's like, why should you need a God to tell you that you should treat others like you'd expect to be treated yourself? It's called empathy. So, so if I apply that, the, the, that rule of empathy, then I should be treating other people's people well, correct? Why do I need God to do that? Now, so, and also, you know, I'm brought up with that sort of, those images of those modern evangelical churches, you know, stealing from people, stealing, you know, poor people's money to enrich their own lives and live these lavish lifestyles. That's yeah. just businessmen, you know, they're businessmen, they're nothing to do with spirituality, right? So I have this, you know, innate distrust of organized religion. Along comes Dana. She embodies, like, actually lives all the thing we, all my mates talk about and philosophize about, right? But because we're like these hard up, you know, um, scrounging sort of uh, artists, we're holding on tightly to every last cent that we make because we're going, we'll, we may never get paid again. So I'm yeah. oh, sorry, I know you need a hand, but man, I've got to hold on to what I got. I watched the student. So she's a student when I met her in the last year of college of chiropractic. She'll have her last 10 bucks. She needs to eat. But if she sees someone on the street that needs it more, she gives it to them because wow. she trusts that the universe, it's not her money in the first place. Everything that she's been given has been given to her by Allah to find out what she will do with that. So if she gives it away, she's going with the flow of the universe inevitably every time she did that by the end of the night we were getting fed by somebody or someone else would have given her more money or something else happens you know it's not always in the same you don't receive a gift in the same you know the same amount or anything even and it might come two weeks later but she believes she's a believer and so i was like okay so she's basically the socialist you know <laughs> you know socialist sort of archetype or almost like everything, this humanist thing that we were talking about, but never acted upon. She embodied it and believed it, yet she was religious. And I have this innate distrust of religion, and I have an innate distrust of people who are religious, because I always thought that religion blinds you to every other way of seeing things. So I was challenged hardcore by meeting her. So anyway, after three years of having these ex existential like conversations where we both point at a tree and go, she'd go, how can you tell me there's no God? And I'd point at the same tree and go, how can you tell me there's a God? You know, it yeah. would be like hardcore <laughs> coming from polar opposites, man. We finally come together after three years and I go, you are my best friend. There's something that you've got going on. I love the way you see the world. So there must be something in it, you know? And so I basically, I convert, to Islam, I know that I will never see it like someone who's born into Islam. I, I still have trouble believing in, you know, literal angels and things like this. I can't, I can't, I, you know, but if I think of it as a metaphor, then maybe, but, but beyond it all, it's more to do with, oh, it's not about me. It's about us, you know, and it's about something bigger than us, you know? Yeah. And Amen, brother.
Yeah, and it becomes less me-centric and therefore you bec- the ideas of charity and being good to other humans, they're enforced every time you go to pray. They remind You know, you pray five times a day, you're reminded five times a day. You know, that thing that you're worried about, it doesn't matter in the end of the day because it's not about you. This is just one little part. This life that we live is one little part of this eternal life, you know, you know, and it's like, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a dream. You know, it's like a, it's like this beautiful dream that you can do something great with, or you can do something bad with, you know, and what is, what are you going to do with this amazing time you have here? You know, so um, you might as well, you might as well try and be good to yourself. And when you're good to yourself, you end up being good to other people, you know, and it just spreads out like that. I don't know. Was that me blabbing on for too much now? <laughs> oh, John, I tell you, like, it just it resonates so deeply with my own thoughts and philosophies. And, I, and I'm not a religious man, but I have become <laughs> very spiritual. And what that journey looks like in five years' time, I have no idea. You know, I was mm-hmm. raised as a, as a born-again Christian. Oh, and, wow. And had it sort of had it sort of jammed down my throat by someone who didn't mean to do that, but that's just how it came across. And, and so I yeah. re- repel and, and uh, rebel. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. Um, you know, the name Laban's from the, the bowels of the Old Testament. And oh, wow. uh, it actually means yogurt in Arabic. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah well, because, yeah, they, they, yeah, Laban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I know that. That's why I'm so cultured. <laughs> But um, so what that looks like, I don't know. But given given this this transformation, it's a, it's a really great story, and I've got some very very good friends of mine who are Muslim, and and it's a big Ramadan to everyone out there at the moment. Um, you say Ramadan Kareem. Ramadan Kareem. Yep. I need to That's brush like up on my, <laughs> my Islamic, but uh, and but because of the the transition to this now, have you found a whole another legion of fans? that come from a Muslim background now as a result from your music that you're no, aware of? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like the, the adults record was probably a little bit more, um, I don't know. I mean, because a lot of the singing on that is in Arabic, it, it, it probably has more to do with that. So I think Shihad, it, the way it's influenced me with Shihad is, is it's in a, in a funny, strange way it's actually made our music heavier because it makes me focus on uh, social injustice and inequality. And it makes me go, okay, right. Um, I have this platform here. I don't care if people go, I'm not listening to it because it's preachy. I don't care because I don't want to know about the bad things about the world. Music should be escapism. For me, it's, it's my art. And if I'm going to be looking at the world and going, that's unjust, that's not right. I'm going to use the music to do that. Now, so it's interesting that that becoming the, a more spiritual, you know, person or becoming or becoming a Muslim, you would think that, um, I would have thought that, I was worried because I was like, I've never made a record without like, A, smoking a joint every two seconds or, <laughs> or um, B, you know, having this total mistrust of, of, the rest of the world and 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 you'd think you know bringing this sort of idea of like you know trying to trying to see the good in people i would probably make music that's a little bit happier but uh no what it did was make me go oh 
I can see how the world would be if we treated each other a bit better. Yeah. So why are we living in a world where we don't? So that makes me rail against that harder. And in fact, yeah. So, so the five eyes record, which ended up being our first record to go top 10 in Australia for ages was written completely straight as a brand new Muslim. And it's heavy as all hell, you know, and it's like, and it's focused, you know, and it's like, um, it's really interesting. Like, and we're just in the middle of making, I'm, you know, writing the lyrics to the new one. It's the longest gap we've had between records. Uh, it's like five years wow. and um, yeah. And it's, um, but this COVID thing happened just as I was supposed to be starting to write. So I was going to be, you know, just sort of making music and stuck inside anyway. So it all sort of worked out really well. And I, I, I look at what's happening in England and America and, 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 you know, like my parents are from England and my parents, you know, like, so, and, um, and our, our, all our musical heroes come from America and, and, and a lot of my, you know, the ideas about Western society, which are good come from America yet, it's not living up to what it's supposed to be. And, and man, I mean, basically we went through eight years of having an intelligent, compassionate black man <laughs> as the leader of the biggest, you know, Western democracy in the world to the worst human being that was ever born, like just embodying everything that's bad about humanity, greed and ego and lust and everything. It's like the world has been turned on its head. And uh, I was so flabbergasted that I couldn't write for a while, but now I'm writing with a fury uh, and a passion that I haven't had for a long time. Yeah. That's awesome, <laughs> man. I, the, I, I personally believe, as terrible as this might sound to some people that take this out of context, COVID-19 is the greatest thing to ever happen to me. And well, I think I, I'm with you. I'm actually with you, man. I, I, no, I'm not, I'm, I definitely don't like the fact that, you know, people are in danger and like, you know, like um, I don't like the fact, I hate the actual thing itself. I don't like the fact that it's taking out, you know, people's, you know, elderly relatives and people that we love and stuff like that. But I think it's really good as a pause on where we're heading as a, as a, as a race of, of beings to just hold on a second and slow down, man, just slow down. Who are you? Who are your family? Who, who are the people that really mean something to you? And how are you going to treat them? And how are you going to treat yourself? And, you know, that job that you thought your whole life was about, that's not even going to be there when you're an old person. You don't take that job to the grave when you go. You take your stories and the people you love and the people that love you to the grave, you know? like So... It's been a real reset, man. It's been really interesting, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty weird times, man. Pretty weird times. It is, it is. But I think, um, you know, just going back to what you're saying with regards to how you interpret the world and the the, the people around you, now you've got this clarity. Because how long has it been since you've had a drink? Oh, eight years, I'd say. So eight years. And, and so it'd be four years for me in August of 2020. And I reckon it probably took, thank you, man, took me about a year before I started noticing that I became a lot more in tune with my, just my being. And it, yeah. it sounds woo-woo and it sounds spiritual. And I used to laugh this shit off as well. Mm. But it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. And I really feel that like from a physiological or biological point of view, when you allow your body to just reset to how we've evolved to be, mm. that we're, we have, have always been a very intuitive species. 
and that, that, that higher frequency that people talk about, you know, attracting good things into your life because you're putting out good things and those, those blessings that you're talking about with Dana, like the same things, the amount of just extraordinary blessings in my life over the last uh, couple of years in particular have just mm. blown me away and, and mm. really mm. sort of cemented the fact that there is something else out there. Mm. I, I, just, I just can't yeah. imagine that it just exploded from a big giant spark. So I don't know. If I look back at me five years ago and done a prediction of what I'd be talking about, what I'd look like, what I'd sound like, I think mm. there might be very different people. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you say, you say, you know, it took you a year uh, of after not drinking to become sort of a more, you know, good things start coming into your life. Those good things were already there. It's just that you were dampening your sort of spirit or your, or your, you weren't attuned to it. You just basically weren't in tune with it, you know? And it was like, because you had this blanket over you, basically. Yeah. So you couldn't see those paths that were always there. They're always there, good paths to walk down. But the more you sort of like hammer yourself, the less opportunity you're giving yourself to see those paths, you know. And beyond it all, man, that higher frequency you're talking about, all it is is basically this. We're not separate entities. We're not separate people. We're physically, we look like we're separate entities and there's walls between us and our neighbours, but we're all fucking one thing. We're all just one p- part of one big thing, the fucking earth, Right. We're just, we're just manifestations of the same fucking thing, right? So when you, there's a reason you feel good when you give that last $10 to someone who's in need because you're basically, by helping them, you're helping yourself because they are you, you know? That sounds hippie, but it's the fucking truth, you know? That is the truth. Even Trump is a part of who you are. It's the bad part of who you are. It's the personification of the bad part of what we can be, but he's still a reflection of ourselves. And that's why we've got to deal with it, you know, and that's why we've got to evolve, you know. So, yeah, and and also try, I mean, like what I've also been doing, I mean, ever since Christchurch, bro, since the, 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 the massacres in the mosque, I've stopped using social media so much. Now, I there's something inherently um, shallow about that medium uh, that, that for me means that we will never really be able to communicate love to each other there. All we can do is shout at, shout at each other or hang out with people. I know people put positive stuff up on Instagram and Facebook, but it's never going to be the same as talking to someone face to face. It's never going to yeah. be some, you know, having that first person experience of going, Oh, a Muslim person's actually just given me, a bunch of chocolate brownies. That's weird. I always thought they were a bunch of terrorists or <laughs> like, or, or, Oh, I just met a gay person uh, and they were really lovely and they had, they were being really lovely to their children. Oh, I didn't know that because I've been living in this fucking social media bu- bubble with all, all people who think like I think hating the world, you know, and hating pe- people who are different from me, you know? And I, I honestly think it was an experiment that sort of started out, I don't. I don't even think they know knew what the consequences of Facebook was going to be when they started out. But oh, all of a sudden we're making a fucking shitload of money, and uh, uh, we can't. I know there's a bunch of misinformation going out there, but if we start screwing it, we'll make less money. So oh, we'll just keep it going, you know. And it's like you realize that you're actually undermining Western democracies. <laughs> you realize that you're actually destroying 
connections between humans and actually making people think that they're not connected, you know, even though it's social interaction. It's not. It's not. Interaction happens at a local level, you know. Interaction happens between you and your family, between you and your friends. So it's really interesting times because we've all been separated, you know, and we're forced to actually look at what we're doing. You know, I've, I've been watching. People are still trying to, you know, keep their businesses running by keeping updates on Instagram. But it's like, just fucking sit down for a second. Here's your opportunity yeah. to the world. When we go back to it, it's not going to be the same. You know, it's not going to be the same. So get with the fucking program and enlighten yourself. You know, this is the time to do it. You know, um, I know, you know, we've all got to pay the rent. I know we've all got to, you know, pay for our kids' education, blah, blah, blah. We've got to pay for the groceries. But there's got to be a way of doing it that doesn't hurt the planet and doesn't hurt other people, you know? And maybe this is our chance to try and fucking think of a way to do that, you know? Um, well, I've got some ideas, John. This is largely why I've sort of ended up down this path. And, you know, the blessing of being made redundant from my going back to a job after my business failing was uh, it forced me into what I really, truly am passionate and love doing and am fulfilled by a year earlier than I, than I, than I planned. And yeah, right. it's not going to be all plain sailing, you know, from a financial point of view early on. But the thing I've come to understand that if you are focusing your efforts on something that you are truly interested in doing, and Mm -hmm. if, you know, like I quote Zig Ziglar all the time, you know, you can get whatever you want in this life if you help enough other people get what they want and spread that message of love and abundance and understanding that you can get way more back by giving more and not coming from a place of fear and scarcity. And it's taken me... A long time to to get to a point, and I'm still figuring it out, and I'm still not perfect at it. I'm still got, you know, lots of areas to 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 develop and work on. But so far, the 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 resounding feedback on myself and from people around me is that it's working. And yeah, yeah. And you're right. This is a really powerful time in history where this is your opportunity to reset and become someone better than what you were. Not necessarily mm-hmm. different because you're always that person, like you say, you're always mm-hmm. receiving that information, but you just might be a little bit drowned out. And mm-hmm. they think from an evolutionary point of view, like long before, uh, you know, uh, industrialized cities came around, like groups of 150 people were roughly the tribe. And anything more mm-hmm. than that, it, it's you're, it's a lot harder to, to foster meaningful relationships with people. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I know a million of people have read it, but the Johan Hari book on, you know, lost connections, that's definitely a, a, a decent book to read. You Great know, book. he's yeah. a, yeah. And, and, and really, really sets it out, you know, how we've become the, the bigger the cities that we've lived in, the more lonely we are, you know, and the more unhappy we are. And, and also, you know, sort of actually lays down why we're attracted to things like social media, because that's trying to fill that void of, of losing our tribes, you know, I mean, and that's just it, you know, it's like, um, only problem is it's an imitation of life. It's not life, you know, and it's like, um, our souls are crying out for life, you know, and our souls are crying out for real connection. Um, so it's an interesting time because we can't physically connect to our friends and our tribes at the moment. And it's making us appreciate what we had before, you know, it's like, Oh, we could catch up with our mate and we could catch up with that and have those face-to-face meetings, you know? So it's been a re- really good, um, I think it's been a really positive thing. You said one thing just before 
about you know the idea of abundance over scarcity and that's really really important i think for people and 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 i think people have got to rejig their measurement of success you know we in the west we judge success by the car we drive the house we own or don't own um uh uh, the you know the clothes we wear, the restaurants we can eat at, we can afford to eat at, and it's like it never will never make you happy, not really happy. You know, it'll make you, it'll make you, it'll give you a sugar rush for about a day, and then the next day you'll wake up and you'll feel empty and you'll wonder why. You know, and um, and so then you've got to go and buy a bigger car because that person next door just got a bigger one. And shit, you know, you're not the person with the nicest car in the, in the, in the street. What, what, who am I? Well, that's maybe the question you should have been asking in the first place. Who the fuck am I? You know, like, and what is success? Success, I think, is, is genuine peace in your, in your heart and happiness and the realization that we are all connected and that, yes, if you help somebody out, and not expect something in return, you know, actually just help them out because you know that they're a manifestation of yourself. And so by helping them out, you're helping yourself out anyway. You are always rewarded. But it does take, after living from a point of scarcity, it takes years to break those habits, you know. And yeah. don't expect yourself to go to because I, I I will I I will like I'll Dana's had a lifetime of it. My wife, she's had a lifetime of thinking like that. So she just does it. I have a lifetime of being a, a hard up musician, you know, uh, uh, you know, I was married to a, a, a solo mother who was a very survivalist mentality as well. So it was hold on to every scrap of money you ever make. And, and that's it because you might know, you might never, ever get paid again. You always do, but you have that attitude. You never, ever get to grow. But when I followed uh, when I sort of dip my toe in the water of how Dana does it, it's like, oh shit! I just got a job offer after giving something away that's twice as much as what I just gave away. Well, how does that work? It's like yeah. magic, right? It is like magic, but it, but it it, it reply it, it requires a leap of faith. You have to really believe it's going to happen, otherwise, and you have to believe in that law of the fact that the material things you have you're not going to take to the grave with you. Then they're given, you're borrowing them. They're all borrowed. Everything's borrowed. Um, and even the energy, your life source, it's borrowed. You know, you give it back at the end of the day as well, you know? Yeah. So, so don't, you know, this whole idea of ownership is really interesting as well. It's like, it, 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 it's sort of, I, I know that, you know, you know, you've got kids and you want to buy that house and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately for a long time, it's not you that owns that house. It's, it's the bank, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, like it, it's, we've really got to think about the way we, we, we run our societies, I think, you know, because then we, there's a lot of unhappiness. There's a lot of disconnection. There's yeah. a lot of anger out there as well. There's a lot of rage. Uh, I don't want to live in a world where someone needs to, you know, stick a, a camera on their helmet and then kill women and children, live stream it to Facebook. And especially not in the country that I was born in, you know, um, that you know that there's an imbalance in the way we're living. If that becomes normal, you know, and I don't want to, I want to fight for a world that doesn't have that in it, you know. Yeah. And that means 
the realization of the fact that we're all in this together pretty much you know even the people you don't agree with you are actually going through this experience with them as well and we've got to find a way of reaching out to each other you know and it ain't going to be through facebook and it ain't going to be through instagram or it definitely ain't going to be through twitter you might get a good <laughs> few, few jabs in but that's not going to convince anybody to come over to your side yeah we're just like we're just like entrenching our positions you know it's like it's not going to work it's not going to work it's just making people angrier you know it's weird yeah you're right john and, and you know the, the thing is like the whole material thing I've, I've had to wrap my head around like how do i achieve the things in life that i want to achieve and and, and have that fulfillment provide that security and, and protection for my family um yeah. from a maslov's need of you know hierarchy list of needs kind of thing okay. And it, it all goes back to that coming from a place of love and abundance. And if you're, you know, you will, you will bring into your life the things that you need mm-hmm. by, by living as true to your values as you can. And, totally. you know, it's not, it's not a perfect science, I'm sure, but uh, early signs are pretty good. And, and, you know, with your kind of mentality and with what we're doing here, uh, you know, the signs are looking really good. I'm really optimistic for what the future holds for this world. For sure, man. And for sure. And you've got to be, you've got to be, and you've got to, um, you've got to be strong enough to accept those, the bad things that are happening and realize that what, when you see those bad things happening, there's also great things happening at the same time. And it's really hard when you get bombarded with negative news and bombarded with negative things to, to do that. And it's also even harder when you drink on top of it or when you take drugs on top of it to mask that pain, because we've got to face this issue head on and with clear eyes and a clear heart and a clear conscience. And um, that's impossible to do when you're, when you're self-medicating as you, as you found out, you know, like, you know, yeah. Um, and, and like, it's really interesting. Like people have said to me, you know, you know, Oh, do you mind if I drink around you? I don't mind if you drink around me. I don't give a shit. It's actually, that's your thing. You know, like it's like my trip is my trip, you know, but it'd probably be better for you if you didn't drink. I'm not, but I'm not going to tell you not to drink, you know, actually some people are great on one or two drinks. They're great. But then usually it goes a bit awry after that, you know? And I do find for me, like, cause I'm in still my, my work's basically in social situations. You know, I yeah. work, my workplace is basically nightclubs and bars and clubs and blah, blah, blah. I tend to be far more discerning about the conversations I have. I have far more energy to, and, and I'm much quicker to go, oh, this, this conversation is not going to lead anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so I'm out because you're too drunk and uh, you don't even know what you're saying right now, you know? Yeah, and so, yeah. um, so I'm much quicker at discerning what's, what's actually going to enrich my life or not, you know? And uh, yeah, so I don't know. And I, I'm, like I say, I'm sort of the last guy standing a lot of the times, you know, like, because of, because I've got more energy in a weird way, you know, because I'm not going, oh, I need a kebab, otherwise I'm going to vomit. <laughs> I just need a kebab because I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a different wavelength, I think, that people get on. And, and it's, not a, it's not a slight or a blight on, on people that choose to drink because I was that guy as well. I, and I cringe and look back at sometimes even footage of me when I thought I was witty and articulate and particularly when I've been doing cocaine, how conversive I was and how, how mm-hmm. verbose my vernacular was. And mm-hmm. I just looked like a flipping idiot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but 
And those conversations that were all so powerful and all meaningful, they're usually about nothing. And yeah. you know why? And there's a thing about cocaine, luckily for me, because I've got an addictive nature, the, that come down from cocaine was so painful to me. Like that, that feeling of, you know, you're just talking to this random person about, about the, how you're going to, you know, solve climate change and you're going to, you know, write the best record that was ever written. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the drugs run out of your system and you realize how that person's, you don't even know that person. And what, what was I even talking about? Oh, I feel like this empty shell of a person, you know, and, um, and it's painful. And, uh, that always stopped me from getting in too heavily into that drug because I couldn't deal with that, that, that awful hollowing out feeling, you know, like, cause I already felt uncomfortable before I took it. I didn't need to go down even further from where I was before I went up, you know, and it was like, you're just on a roller coaster with that stuff. Alcohol as well, you know, alcohol's there to just, just, you know, make those problems just fade a little bit, you know, like, oh, give you a bit of confidence because you're feeling really insecure about yourself, you know. Um, it's just a crutch, man. It's just a crutch, you know, and it's like I do understand it, you know. There's occasionally when we go out to a restaurant and I go, oh, that meal would be good with a good Riesling or a good blah, blah, blah or blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, but then yeah. I just eat and then I go, oh, fuck, I don't, I'm, I'm glad I didn't do that, you know, like. I'm glad I didn't do that. Yeah. That's so good, John. Look, I'm very conscious you're you're a busy boy and you got a lot going good, on. Bro. Very quickly for the for the super fans out there, what is what's happening for the rest of 2020 for She Had the Adults and John Too Good? Well, basically, um uh yeah, like I said, writing uh the next She Had album, which was always on the cards anyway. It's good, though, in the fact that this enforced sort of self-isolation means I've got nowhere to run. And, and because I can't perform, I've actually got no excuse not to be writing. And it means that I'm experimenting far deeper and, and working with words a lot more colourfully than I would have been if I just had to finish something. I've actually got the time and the space to actually do something that I love. So, uh, yeah, so I know that'll probably be recorded by the end of the year, hopefully. It, it's cool. Everything's up in the air, bro, as you know. It's like, you know, we, we were initially going to record in America. We're not going to be doing that now. Um, we can't, you know, I don't know when we'll perform again because I don't know what the laws are about how many people are allowed to be together. Um, it's a really weird time for anyone in the entertainment industry. You know, I mean, it's the weird time for anyone in any industry, but the entertainment industry sort of does rely on a lot of communal gatherings, you know, and yeah, it's like, yeah. uh, but like I say, basically I'm just taking that opportunity of not having that as an option to actually go dig into my brain and, and write some music, you know, so. Well, it's an exciting time, John, and I am forever truly blessed and grateful for you giving up your your generous time to record this with us. And, and I hope that anyone watching uh, will take something out of this that, that sets them on their journey and, and, you know, triggers their own little revolution, whatever you want to call it. I, I would love to have you back on the show in the future just to revisit some of this stuff. And you've been a wonderful, wonderful guest. And thank you very much, John Toogood, everybody. Pleasure, bro. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. 
If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-S.com.